happened when I turned 50. My, I suddenly realized I needed reading glasses. And it's all been downhill from there. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't talk about this the last time we were on, I uh, was tearing down at JR's on a Tuesday night, and I came, uh, I went to step down a few steps off the stage that I set up on, and my foot caught on a, my Bose speaker lid. And I tripped and fell down a couple of steps and twirled and landed flat on my back on JR's wonderfully firm, hard <laughs> cement with linoleum floor and messed up my back a little bit and something's going on with my heel and I'm like, I don't need this right now. The Penn, Ohio Go Go Bungalow Radio Show brought to you by G&J Fencing. Messed up my back a little bit and something's going on with my heel and I'm like, I don't need this right now. You know, I had my shoulder surgery last year. I was just sitting here thinking about you. I'm, I'm laughing because, again, we're both a couple of 20-year-olds staring at each other in these 60-year-old bodies. Yeah, exactly, because we're, we're young at heart, but, man, stuff's starting so, to fail. You, you, know, you with the shoulder, me with the back. Well, COVID killed me mm-hmm. because when COVID hit and all the bars shut down, I had nothing to do. One of the first things that happened during COVID was the golf courses opened up because that was the perfect COVID thing because you can go out in a golf cart and you could stay separate there's social mm-hmm. there's social distancing on a golf course <laughs> plenty of it especially if you're playing bad and you're in the woods half the time and your buddies in the middle of the fairway um but i played a ton of golf during covid and i that's how i blew out my shoulder ran out of cartilage and had the shoulder replacement surgery and i'm doing I'm fantastic now. I will be picking up my clubs again in the spring for the first time in almost three years, and I'm very excited about that because golf is a, a deep, deep love and addiction that I have. And you can tell by my body that I spent COVID making sourdough bread. <laughs> but but the, the, the roundness of your figure is, is so oh. joyous. And uh, Dude, when I'm sitting here, I know what I look like. I look like a melting Hershey's kiss. Well, that's, that, that's, and that is okay. That's okay. Bulbous. Can, bulbous? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> bulbous. That's okay. All right. That's fine. In, in, oh. in the most complimentary sort of way. You know, I need to, I probably at some point here should tell you my story about, um, Let's leave specific businesses out of this at this point. I, I, I we're in a small community, oh, so man. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name the business. Hmm. Okay, but it was a major a major family department store, shall we say, okay. here in Western Pennsylvania, and I got asked just before COVID, the year before COVID, um, if I would be their store Santa Claus. Oh wow. So the story goes, I guess they had a Santa Claus. He had a heart attack. They saved Santa Claus. As many store Santas do. A Santa Claus found Jesus. Oh. And then the next year, the newly revived, healthier, and saved Santa Claus came back. But spent all of his time with the boys and the girls telling them that there is no Santa, that they need to find Jesus. And so the store had to as let... As he was dressed as Santa? And then the store had to let Santa go. 
a church and state. So they found themselves a year later needing a Santa Claus. And I kind of knew somebody that knew somebody. And they kind of looked at me in my bald estate and my beard and said, why don't you consider, you know, would you come be Santa? And where the Santa, you know, you've got that big voice. It was more than anything. Oh, my absolutely. beard isn't exactly white. So I went and um, uh, I said, sure. And they're going to pay me a couple of bucks. So I really didn't think much of it. And I went and picked up the costume and went to go do my first appearances. Santa Claus. And I got my jingle bells and I got the costume all on. I got the beard on. I'm looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, oh, my God, I'm Santa Claus. And it kind of starts hitting me. Well, what am I going to do? Like, how do I enter the room? Well, I guess I'm going to have to go out there and go, ho, ho, ho. You know, and I'll ring the bells and everything else. And then finally there was a knock on the door. Yeah, you because know, I'm in the green room. And I knock on the door, and it's okay, Santa. We're ready for you. And I step out, and I can hear hundreds and hundreds of kids, a couple hundred, we'll say, wow. at least, just tons of noise. And now I'm in a full-blown panic and sweat, thinking, "Oh my God, I got to go out and be Santa Claus." Yeah. So That's I just a lot gotta, of responsibility. I, well, it starts hitting me. That I'm no longer me, and I'm not me in a Santa Claus suit. No. I am the mother-freaking Santa. To these kids you are. Oh, my God. And the kids, I could see them, and they're all excited, and they're jumping up and down. So I've got to sit there for the afternoon now and be Santa. And it was fun to a point, but I get to the end of the afternoon. And then a couple of things that touched me right out of the gate was – there were two or three different women that had come from a retirement home that had brought their husbands who were in full-blown dementia to see Santa. And I'm telling you, dude, it was yanking on my heartstrings. I mean, these little old ladies are coming up wow. with these gentlemen and, and to see Santa, and they're so sure. excited to get their picture taken. So that's kind of, you know, there's that kind of stuff. Um you know, there's the impatient parents with their kids and getting angry and then coming over and just dumping their kid, stuffing them down on your lap Mm -hmm. and then yelling at Santa, you know, turn this way, look this way while they're getting their pictures taken. Cause there wasn't a professional photographer. It was, it was a, it was as much of a free form Santa experience with, with, with dealing with the public. This is my first day. It's my, and I have several appearances I'm going to make. But that first day in that afternoon, I got to the end of the line, and there's a little girl, and she's got her head down, and she's got thick glasses on, you know, with the thick lenses, so her eyes are a little bit big. And she's um, playing with her fingers, and she seems to be really kind of timid, and the parents are really nice, and they come up, and they bring the little girl up to me. And she's standing there, and they step back, and she looks up at me, and then she starts crying. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I got a kid that's... Now, I've already had a couple of kids pee on me. I've had a cough on me all day. Oh, that's... Now funny. Now she's standing in front of me, and she's crying. And I just reached out, and I got a hold of her shoulders. And I said, what's wrong, honey? You know, Santa wants to know what you want. And she starts to... Through her tears and her sniffles, and she says, I would like to have my mommy back. Oh, jeez. And wow. I'm looking at her. And I look at the parents, and the woman is nodding her head, and I said, well, what else can Santa do? (laughs) You know, I just want my mommy back. 
and I'm like, you know, it's I held her, handed her a candy cane, and set her on her way. And then her mom came over and reached to me and said, yeah, that her mom had turned up missing. That was a foster child. And her mom had been missing for over a year, and she just wanted to come tell Santa that she'd like to have her mommy back. Wow. Dude, I will never, ever, 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 ever be a Santa Claus again. You yeah. talk about too much responsibility. Yeah. I think one of my heartstring-pulling moments was my good friend Todd Cutshaw. Uh, who's a local piano player in the Youngstown Warren area? And I think I think you you know. Todd. I know the name. I'd have to see his picture. Todd but I and know. I have been friends for thirty years. Um, he turned me on to a new mark, uh, a new format to use my karaoke prowess in, and that was the nursing home. Market. I saw you doing that. I always that's. Yeah. And so it started off with the couple that Todd hooked me up with, and it blossomed into probably about seven or eight different nursing homes where I would go in with a scaled-down version of my karaoke system because you can't bring all the speakers and, right. and blow, them, blow their doors out because mm -hmm. they want the volume a little more subdued. Subdued. But I, I was a wreck the first one I had to do because this is a whole different – it's not like going into a bar and letting a bunch of drunk people sing. This was me going into a nursing home and sitting down in a community room with anywhere from 10 to 30 uh, senior citizens, many of them in wheelchairs, uh, some of them – in the dementia state mm -hmm. where the, a lot of them didn't really even know what was going on. And the, and so you start to play the music. And so this turned into not necessarily karaoke, but me getting, taking the headset off and doing a handheld wireless mic. And I would hook the video up to their community TV so they could see the words and basically, it was me walking around the room singing mm -hmm. to them, trying to get them to participate in whatever capacity they may, or at least getting them to pay attention to the music. Because the music, I, we talked about this oh, sure. last take, podcast, yes. how music is a, a healer, a motivator. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's like medicine to me. Always has been. And you want to talk about responsibility and trying to reach people that haven't been reached. And I remember I was working at one in Boardman, and uh, some a lot of times when they would book me, uh, family members would come to sit in with their loved ones who were residents at these facilities and they I was going to ask you that. Yeah. And I would get some of them to sing sometimes mm -hmm. and it was great. And I'd sometimes get the nurses to sing and it was great. And they, they loved that. And, but there was one time, uh, where there was a woman in a chair, kind of slumped over, not speaking, not really almost like she was asleep, but she was just 
kind of, I don't want to say vegetative because that, that's such an extreme word, but she was not all in Present. touch with mm -hmm. our, our current reality. Right. And her daughter was sitting with her and we're playing the music and I noticed that I did a song and it, it, she moved a little bit. And I asked the woman, I go, do you remember what your mother's favorite music was when she was younger? And she said Elvis. She loved Elvis. And I I do a half-assed Elvis voice if I really need to. Uh, I don't really sing him a lot at my shows or never and never have other than Teddy Bear. I love to sing Teddy Bear. <laughs> and I got down on a knee and I put in I can't help falling in love with you and I got down on my knee in front of her and I sang as close to her as I could get without being in her space too much and I swear to God I was like the her daughter was sitting there and I started singing to her and about halfway through the song this woman opened her eyes and raised her head and Aww. looked me in the eye. And I just kept singing to her. And she got a little tear in her eye. And her daughter is losing her mind. Because I guess she very rarely makes any kind of social interaction at, at this point in her life. And I got her to wake up for just a minute or two. And her daughter's taking pictures, and oh my God, and she's calling her brother on the phone. And now I start crying, and it's like, you know, they say what we do for a living can reach people. You don't, you don't see it in a bar situation. I mean, you see the joy of karaoke and mm -hmm. all the fun everyone's having. But to take that form of entertainment that I have devoted my last 33 years of my life to and see it reach into uh, the elderly like I have with my nursing home gigs that I was doing pre-COVID. Um, it was, it, it was, it, it, it gives me goosebumps just even talking mm -hmm. about it right now because I, this has happened on multiple occasions since that where I've reached a gentleman or I get a guy to sing who has never sang before. You do a Frank Sinatra song or, 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 or Tony Bennett or some of that. Because I used to do, obviously did a lot of oldies. Right. Obviously, it wasn't like I was going to do Ramones. <laughs> can you do can that's, you? that's common. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Well, that. no, if you think about it, if I'm doing this 10 years from now, we're going to be doing like, uh, you know, Rolling Stones is going to be the wake up music. Oh, how about Nirvana? Oh, yeah. That, oh, God. Isn't it weird that 90s music God. is all. As you are. It's not funny because uh, '90s music is almost becoming oldies at this point. I'm trying to laugh every morning when I get up and shave the hair off my ears. <laughs> I knew that was gonna. Now, uh, I haven't we got to ear about... hair yet, but nose hair has been an issue oh, for the, me. My facial hair. I've had friends that call me the Wolf Man because there is no hair from the neck down, but my head just keeps sprouting hair. We're not going to talk about hair. It's Greek and Italian. <laughs> I, my back hair is starting to look like a shag rug. I had, I had this Uncle George my on my mother's side. Her brother, her brother, uh, her brother-in-law George Manis. 
he would frighten the children every summer when we'd go visit him in McKeesport because he had a big garden and he would take his shirt off when he would go garden and prune. And when he took his shirt off, it was just like werewolf. And it was like the kids would, we would all freak out. It's, and I, I, now I'm starting to do that. You know, my, uh, I have a friend over here that I grew up with. He's a little bit younger than I am, but he's now retired school teacher, Tom Wilson, who's a stand up comedian. And he used to perform over it. Funny farm, and we'll have him in here someday. But one of the big things with his routine was his his body. He's a wolf man. I mean, his body is hairy, and he used to shave um, a bra into his, oh, and it was part of his routine. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Well, if people have seen him, they're going to know what it is. Yeah. And yeah. It, when he comes on here, we'll have him tell the story and talk about it because it's hilarious. But that was his big thing where he would actually, you know, or get one of his friends and he shave the bra straps and well, everything into i've threatened my my beautiful wife with the uh idea of doing a burt kreischer style karaoke show where when i start my show the first thing i do before i sing my first song is to remove my shirt and do my entire show without a shirt on and she said if you do that don't come home i but that's probably a little much <laughs> so i did that once with the earthquakers um Oh God! You know, I uh, we'll just say that I was there on um, a date, and I was hosting the Earthquakers, and of all places, it was at the Ice House. And they were a great band. I think they're, they're still around. They're, oh, they're still playing. I think I they are. I haven't seen Marty. I haven't seen those guys in years. But uh, I, it's on my dance card to try and do this year. But anyway, it was the Earthquakers over at the Ice House over in Austin Town, and. Um, where you can see me on Friday nights from nine to one. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, in the last set with the Earthquakers, brother Jacob, the guitar player, would always come up on stage without a shirt on. He would just have the black, like Sunday going to church meeting vest on, but he'd be shirtless. And so I was introducing him again on their second set. Brother Jacob hit the stage without a shirt on, and they were yelling. The audience started yelling at me to take it off or something like that. And I'm standing on stage. I was, this is, you know, boxer briefs had changed my life. So I just dropped my pants. Oh, and so I'm on stage with the shirt. And the, the woman that was with me was not real happy with me no, that no. evening. Although, you know what? It, I sacrificed a relationship for a big laugh and the room loved it. So there you go. You know, she All wasn't, right. she wasn't the one to play in my sandbox. I know. I know. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of, um, entertainment and things you you know kenny i remember him from back in the day um sunrise pizza over there in warren oh yeah terrific pizza oh yeah met him ken hedaris yes uh back in my radio days but i don't know him well but i've been watching from afar as the robbins theater and that oh. whole thing came together and it's then amazing. the amphitheater yeah and now he's moved over closer to western pennsylvania and he's taken over Yan uh, Yankee, Yankee Lake Ballroom. Yes. Have you done any gigs yourself? Have you ever worked Yankee Lake Ballroom? I've I've only worked Yankee Lake with the fabulous flashbacks because they used to do a yearly show there that was balls to the wall, yeah. wall to wall people. It was insanity, shaking the building type stuff. More people that live here, more in this area, don't know that property i believe I, I talk about it all the time and people say yeah i've heard of it yeah you drive but by it it looks like it's like a big barn back there but man what a 
amazing. And it, it, it you just uh, the historical significance, number one, my dad still talks about it. He's 90 years old this year and mm-hmm. talks about the big bands and who he saw back in the day. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to DJ a couple of weddings, and the building is just overwhelming right. out there. And then not to mention do live sound for some shows. And then, you know, they used to bring Skinner and Ted Nugent yeah. and everything out there. Last few years, it's been the truck events. Um, like I was out the there. huge bike night they have there behind it. First time I saw uh, Chris Higby. We were talking about him earlier. First time I saw Chris Higby and his band was out there at the Yankee Lake Ballroom. And it, what a beautiful, I just think it's an amazing facility. And I'm excited to see what Kenny and what they're going to do with it. It's opening this weekend. It's it's amazing. I think there are great entertainment venues that are uh, being utilized in this. The fact that he took in with his investors and remodeled the Robins and did a beautiful job with the it's with the stunning. remodel. It, it is really beautiful. But then you know you but and then people don't even appreciate the fact that. Uh, Three miles away is Packard Music Hall. Exactly. You know, my wife's the assistant general manager there, and they're doing great things. And uh, what I think one of our objects with this podcast, you are Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I'm Ohio. I'm a little bit PA. Yeah. And I'm You're a little, a little bit Ohio. Well, speak, <laughs> well, before I go on about entertainment, let me do a quick Ohio shout out to all my friends who went and voted last week and we passed issue one. Sorry about that. We passed issue two. And that it people don't realize that, thank God, women now have control of their bodies in the state of Ohio. And number two, Marijuana, don't get me started, it is not a gateway drug, people. It never has been, never will be. We're not going to get into that. Just thought I'd throw it out there. We'll, we'll, but we'll, eventually we will. The, <laughs> the amount of income that the state of Ohio will make in taxes off recreational marijuana being legalized, maybe someday all the people that voted against it will realize when they see their roads improving or uh, other other things that that tax money will go to. So everyone out there that voted against that issue too, don't, don't feel bad about it because it's okay. And I, and I don't smoke marijuana. I, I was never, marijuana was never my drug of choice. And but at the same time, I appreciate the people that do smoke it, that smoke it responsibly and uh, don't um, use it for reasons, uh, whether it's uh, mindfulness, uh, medicinal. We know that it helps with pain. Mm-hmm. Dana, I'm just listening. I know. <laughs> smiling and smiling. What's that in your hand? No, no, just kidding. I just don't feel like being attacked yet. I'll wait till after the holidays. Exactly. So we're good. So we're good. But back to this entertainment thing, I just think that what this podcast can do, other than people listening to us banter on about whether it's current events or past events or just the, the our history together, which is something I think is entertaining enough mm-hmm. that someone would actually maybe listen to, we are, have the platform now to promote the amazing venues that have popped up and you know is big you know you 
from the Cavelli Center to the Youngstown Foundation Amphitheater and Westside Bowl, and then smaller venues like JR's in Austintown that has live entertainment three days a week with no cover charge, and uh, other venues that we can promote mm -hmm. and give a voice to so many fantastic musicians that live in our area. Right. Bands, solo artists, whatever. And and I think uh, I look forward to using this podcast for that platform as well as time goes by. It's kind of been in our wheelhouse all of our entire lives. Oh, absolutely. And at this point when I'm, you know, staring down <clears throat> the autumn of my life, uh, I just can't think of anything that's been my biggest passion in life has been promoting music, has been promoting music venues, is being a part of that. And it's not, you know what? And I'm very, very cynical. I mean, it's to the point where it's not even, um, it's not about the actual show itself that it, it really rocks me. It's um, being a part of something and helping to organize something and then watching other people have a good time. Oh, absolutely. You and I experienced that this last summer when we did the Yachtly Cruise Show over here in Greenville, which was a really big deal for this little small, oh, for this small absolutely. town. And boy, was that a great show. It was. So entertaining. Um, if you've never uh, looked them up sometime, if you haven't already done that and haven't heard it, me talk about it before here on any one of these podcasts... Um, Yachtly Crew out of um, California. They've uh, just really come into their own this last year, and we were very, very fortunate. And they were very good to us to come to Greenville and do a Monday night show. And, uh, man, talk about Yacht Rock. I just, I, I love that music. Oh, I do, too. You know that. We, we, we both love it. I mean, I my pre-music prior to all my karaoke shows is my easy 70s uh, set list that I have on mm -hmm. my computer, and it's all Yacht Rock. It gets people in the mood for singing. Oh, yeah. Well, I'd love to sing Brandy by Looking Glass. Oh, like, <laughs> that's one of my favorite songs to sing. And if that ain't Yacht Rock, nothing is. We really should have a karaoke party here sometime this winter. I don't see why we couldn't. We we, we could do that. It would be limited. We, we'd have to have it would be either invite or uh, people could sign up for it. Well, our we little go-go bungalow here that we are uh, evolving into is going to be, uh, we're going to do yeah. live entertainment we're, on this podcast we're, we're in, gonna, down the road. So the plan is, is that we're going to start bringing some musicians, bringing some people in. We'll sit here, we'll have conversations, we'll have fun conversations, we'll make it fun and entertaining. And if you want to come and hang out, we'll do a BYOB thing. Yep. I We have plenty of seating gonna have plenty of seat well to start it might even be bring your own chair because i don't know i i do have seating i don't have seat i've got uh, 31 theater seats sitting uh, here we're gonna figure it out it's gonna it's gonna be might it be, i might be putting your kids to work and that's all right the evolution <laughs> of what we are starting here i am extremely excited about because you know like you said we've been involved i mean i remember 1978 I was dating a cheerleader when I went to Cardinal Mooney, and her sister's boyfriend was a musician. And um, he was—he had graduated from Mooney as well, but he had already graduated. And I became friends with him just from hanging out at the house when I was hanging out with her, and she was—he was hanging out with her sister, and Bill Laguardia, who uh, I've been friends with since that day 
had a band, a disco band, and they were called Chain Reaction. And that was back in the old Youngstown, Warren nightclub days, and even in Pennsylvania, too, where disco was huge. And bands used to go to a venue, and they would play four days in a row. It was a crazy back Oh, yeah, then. yeah. And, and, and people were actually, I mean, really working on being like show bands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's basically kind of what they were. Right. And I remember. So they were basically set up with a short-term residency in a local bar mm-hmm. I, or goes, nightclub. He goes, I know you're not old enough, but listen, we're playing at the Rip Room, which was this great nightclub in Holiday Bowl and Struthers on Youngstown Poland Road. I'm going to get you in the door, bring you and Chris. We're going to sneak you in because it was 21 and over back then. For that per, that one nightclub, even though 18 was a drinking age, they still wanted an adult crowd. They didn't want all the young punks in there. And we got in there, and I walked in there, and I stood next to the soundboard because that's where they hid me and my girlfriend, and so we wouldn't get in trouble. And they started playing, and my life changed that day because I watched – Bob Ditzler, who was their sound engineer, mixing the band on this old TX soundboard. And I'm like, so I started asking questions. This is this now, okay, I could hear this. I hear the bass, and I could hear the keyboards, and the vocals sound great. There's a little bit of echo and this and that. And I spent the entire night hardly even talking to my girlfriend and talking to him about what he was doing and why he was doing it. And then I started hanging out with the band and hanging out and hanging out and hanging out. And next thing you know, uh, I got so comfortable around that board that – Bob used to go and hit on girls and let me, 17 years old, sit behind the soundboard. Now, all of a sudden, I was running sound, not really knowing what I was doing, but that's where my life in the music business started, only because I was a boyfriend of a girl whose sister dated a bass player. And we could go, I mean, and then next thing you know, and then I remember I was uh, three uh, three years later, I was I, I had dropped out of college and I was mixing a band that uh, that Billy was playing in a different band at the time. And we were playing in a nightclub in Warren. And uh, a guy walks up to me and goes, hey, the band sounds really good. You're doing a really good job. I go, thank you very much. And he introduced himself. It was John Markovich, the owner of Jam Sound. And mm-hmm. he offered me a job. And then I worked for them. And then, and, but here we are. I, uh, it's similar with me. But, um, yeah, I, I was uh, in high school. I had a couple of friends who were a bit of uh, a sound geeks. I loved entertainment. You know, I was one of those kids in the choir and everything else. And very much a church kid. And so anytime anything was going on with the church, they would usually get me to uh, DJ it. I remember back in those days, I mean, there were a lot of churches and a lot of youth groups that were doing lock-ins, you know, where they would do like an overnight lock-in. So yeah. they, they I, that kind of became my niche where they would put stereo systems together and people would get their music uh, collections together and then they would hire me to come in and play their music for them. But that also led into meeting so-and-so who's a musician, and hey, we're going to be at the arcade. Our band's playing at the arcade on Friday night, and we'd get off school, and we'd go running over to the arcade, and we'd meet them with the band loading in. And then, so you started to get, and we were good kids. We didn't drink. We didn't do drugs. We weren't going to cause any problems. We just would show up at different places and start helping the bands load in equipment. And then if we were lucky, 
they would let us maybe sit through the first set, or at least you know we'd get to sit through sound check. And then nice. what, and, it, and this time went on. Club owners started getting, and back then things were looser. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> and club owners would get to know who we were, and it was just all those kids that come over to help unload things. Right. And we started doing that everywhere. And the same kind of a thing where people started showing you this, showing you that, and it just let it. That was my whole thing. Um, I sang a little bit, somewhat professionally, right out of high school. And I had opportunities, and people were always saying, you know, why don't, you know, you need to be doing this. You need to be working on. I never liked being on stage as much as I liked being behind the stage and watching, helping to put something on, and then getting to watch the crowd have a good time. That's always been my comfort zone. And so for me to be behind a soundboard or, uh, you know, just to be involved in something or help organize something, that's just so much fun. Well, that that was the thing with me. When I was younger and I went to Paul C. Bunn on the south side of Youngstown, we had a great theater program. We had Mrs. Misak, I was our theater director, and we did plays. And I was the king and the king and I and the scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. And I sang Edelweiss when we did a sound of music revival. And it was all kids stuff. And it wasn't the full productions. It was more like reviews type. Yeah, things. reviews and cabarets. But I was I, I always got I was I was always getting picked for the lead because I had a pretty good voice. And then I did some stuff with the Youngstown Children's Playhouse, but I, I never, when I went to Mooney, they didn't really have a theater program. The only thing they did at Mooney was a senior play, so I did the speech team instead. I did duet acting, so I was always doing something entertainment-wise. But what I always had was a love of music, and but I never learned to play a musical instrument. I think to this day, and I take I think one of the reasons I became because uh, a, a sound engineer has to listen to everything. And if you're not a musician and you're more just into music, that's when you're listening to the full spectrum of the production. And you want to hear this and the bass and the snare and the hi-hat. Yeah, the not just the, your instrument. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like drummers. If, if a, dr- uh, a drummer's a sound man, he's the drums are dominant in his mix. And I don't care... What you tell me, it's true. All you people out there, if you ever ran sound for a band and you were a musician, if you were a guitar player, you're thinking about the guitar in the mix more than you are anything else. And that's what I always thought made me a great sound engineer was because I just had a love of music because when my my voice kind of changed in high school and I never had, I lost all my falsetto and this is where I'm at now. I've had this voice probably since I've been 18. <laughs> and I tried to sing in a garage band my senior year of high school, and they wanted to do Boston and Sticks and all this stuff. I couldn't hit any of the notes. They ended up kicking me out of the band. Mm-hmm. And I can't blame them because if you can't hit the note more than a feeling, you're sure as heck not going to be the lead singer in a garage band or any band. So... Everything happens for a reason. Well, the fun thing is, and I'm the, I actually, I sort of played. I mean, I played in high school. I played trumpet, baritone, and tuba. Nice. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I can still, I can still probably do the scale, do a scale on a trumpet. It would sound like absolute dirt. <laughs> but no, I did play. I never really learned how to read music, though. I'm one of those uh, families got all kinds of dyslexia issues. And, um, Music and math are very, very difficult on me, but I kind of figured out my own short, um, shorthand version of doing it. 
and I could sight read. I could sight read really well. Vocal singing was my thing. And so I guess for me, mixing, I mean, I'm going to actually affirm what you were just saying because I've never mixed a band that couldn't sing. Um, vocals were always a thing. I always wanted to get involved or be involved with a band that was a vocal band. Oh, vocals yeah. are always out front. Right. Some bands, you know, stylistic, you don't necessarily need to worry about the vocals all blend in with everything else. But it is true. I mean, I've seen guys that are guitar players that mix, and then next thing you know, you know, the emphasis is all on the lead guitarist, and you're losing the vocals. One of the worst, else. worst things in the world is when I go to any concert, whether it's at Blossom or at a club, and the sound engineer is burying the, vo burying the vocals. The vocals. Oh, my God. I mean, you want to sing along. <laughs> if you can't hear it, you could probably sing along if you know the words by heart, but but we've become we've become experts on sound, and so it gets to the point that, well, number one, I've always been impressed because you can call out megahertz and kilohertz yeah. and yeah, my, jobble hertz and yeah. all that stuff. I mean, you can literally call it out. Um, the other thing, though, that it, it, you we get to know instruments. I I crack Bethann up all the time as we sit here and we listen to music and we work on the podcast, and I'll just point at her and go. That's a Hammond B3 with a Leslie speaker. Mm, oh, <laughs> the best sounding instrument in the world. That's a Gibson guitar. You know, It can't be recreated digitally. There's nothing like a Hammond B3 with a Leslie behind it. And there's still bands that are still using it to this day. It's I was watching, so prevalent I was now. watching a Coldplay video on Instagram the other day. And he was sitting in front of a Fender Rhodes piano that looked like it had been on the road for 40 years and I, I, I and I'm sure it was that is the that's... sound of like the Blues Brothers that oh, Fender Rhodes oh I my love God. that plunkety dunk dunk it's such a neat sound oh it's, and I appreciate that were you one of those guys back in the 70s when synthesizers and all the electronics started appearing and then do you remember that and reading that in all the trade magazines about the big wars about real music versus electronic oh, yeah. music yeah but you know what really blew me away was back when i was working a jam and we were doing all these local bands and i remember we got a gig at the arcade to do sound for a band called the urge and i'm going i never heard of them so we went there and i remember, I remember they the were urge. setting up and get and you know who the keyboard player in the urge was trent reznor oh that's right yes i did know that and Jeez. this is prior to him you know going to la and turning you know, into he the and I, trent reznor he and i were in mercer county jazz band together See, he was younger than me right but the saxophonist that right. i was singing yeah but he was one of the first musicians in our area that really dove head first into the moog and yeah. synthesizers and doing stuff and making and that was when the new wave craze was coming. They were the first band that really embraced new wave music, playing it live. And he had the knowledge and the technology and he had all this stuff. And I would go up on it. And when they, we did sound for them, and I'd go up on stage and just watch him turning these knobs and making all these crazy sounds. i go, oh, my God. He had patch chords. That's before they had everything. Uh, it looked like, an, uh, like a, a phone operator, like Willie yeah. Tomlin on laughing, <laughs> plugging in all those chords. Oh, God. Good st great stuff and great memories. And we have, there's so much, there was so much life and vitality in this valley for decades because there's so many great musicians in this area. 
The funny thing is now, though, especially when you go out to the wineries and the breweries and people that are really working on doing some really nice things with entertainment, um, is to look at the, you know, at least half of the crowd, half of the crowd, anytime you go to one of these places, it's people that are between the ages of 50 and 65 or 70 that, that miss that, that don't get to do that now. Right. You know, exactly. it's a, you know, there are the younger people, but it's not like it used to be. No. Uh, the youngsters just don't seem to be interested and are way more cynical and way more jaded. Yeah, but there is, uh, you know, they're out there. Some of them still appreciate it. It's it's nice to see. Do you think, do kids still listen to music the same way we did when no. we were kids? They're, no. They're, they, they, they share videos, I guess. They share stuff. Well... I don't know. I know my... Good God, I'm out of touch. I'm blessed with two sons who That's true. I have, you do have that. ...have uh, thrown their love of music at me in different ways. My younger son is more of a hip-hop kid, and but he I see his playlist on Spotify because we share the same account. Mm-hmm. And I'm amazed at the songs that he puts on his playlist that go all the way back to the early times of hip hop, and and then my my older son, I have uh, I introduced vinyl into his life a number of years ago, and now he is heavy into vinyl, and he loves Led Zeppelin and the Doors, and he appreciates uh, country, and it, it, it's um. Uh, Sinatra and stuff like that. And he's got a wide, diverse love of music. And the stuff he listens to, I I got to give myself a little credit for because I showed him that all his buddies who were listening to hip-hop in high school when he was at Howland, he was listening to different stuff and his friends didn't understand. Why are you listening to this? Well, my dad turned me on to this. My dad turned me on to this. My dad turned me on to this. And like, like Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> God, I love them so much. <laughs> and I remember when I turned my son on to Rage, because Rage is a cross between hip-hop and rock and roll. And he was like, oh, my God, what is this? And you could see the light in his eye. Like, this is amazing. About the only band that in my vocabulary that comes to mind when you say, because I, I, I think I'm hearing the term Rage for the first time it's been so fractured or fractured um but living color oh god that would have to be like the goat of that style of oh, music I, I loved living color <clears throat> and i think you know common. you know who discovered them no mick, mick jagger do i know that i don't know that i know that they they were from new york city and mick jagger walked into a nightclub that they were playing at like a small club in new york one night when the rolling stones were must have been in town or he was visiting new york walked in to see this band and fell in love with them and he signed them so mick jagger gets credit for you know i think of that music those days uh living color just i mean literally jumped off the television I mean, those guys, the energy that those guys had. And the thing is, is that was a few years before grunge. Yeah. That's a few years before Nirvana and everything. Yeah. And as soon as Nirvana and Pearl Jam and some of those bands started hitting it, I thought, oh, my God, they they were all watching 
they wanted to be living color. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Yeah. Absolutely. They were great. Call to Personality is one of my favorite songs. If you don't know the band, if you don't know the group, just go look them up and YouTube them on your Google Box machine. Yeah, or you, the... <laughs> The interweb, as the my inter- father calls it. That's what I call my it. Dad, you know what my dad. My dad calls Facebook FaceTube. <clears throat> FaceTube? FaceTube. I like that. I know. I know. My mother still, uh, every once in a while, somebody will show her one of my coffee creepers because they're not on social media whatsoever. And still at this age, my mother will get upset and call me to the house and then tell me, you just need to get off that FaceTube. Or that Facebook, right? You know, I, I, Dana, you know that I don't want that. Well, what did you see, Mom? I didn't see anything, but people are talking about it. And you just need to take it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mother, my mother, may she rest in peace. Missed a lot of this uh, internet stuff because she passed before, right? Or, or as she was aging, that stuff kind of passed her by. But my mother loved music. I did not know your mom well, but I was around her enough that I know that I love her. Oh, and I gosh. know that your love for her was it just, yeah. Greatest woman in my life, ever, ever to be in my sure. life. But she loved music. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a huge vinyl collection at my house when I was growing up. And it was, But my mother, and this is killing me because the Barbara Streisand memoir just came out on hardback this week. And my mother loved Barbara Streisand. I mean, like, wanted to be Barbara Streisand or, or just want to maybe be in the same uh, room with her. It just my it, it, We listened to so much Barbara Streisand in my house, and my dad was into Tony Bennett and Perry Como and Frank Sinatra. And then my mother, as, as her music taste grew, I remember my mother got into The Pretenders. My mother loved Chrissy Hind, and my mother was in her 60s when that was all happening. And I remember my cousin Chrissy took her to a, a Pretenders concert. Um, she was probably the oldest woman in the place. And this was like back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's amazing how people in our lives influence who we become. But then at the same time, their influence allows you to open up your mind to new avenues of taste and to try things and to experiment. And I've never listened to this band before. You know, it's like. So I was raised, um, my parents are very much easy listening. Same thing. And my, they never came out of it. My dad will still tell you to this day that uh, the fall of Western civilization happened when the Beatles landed in New York City. Oh, geez. <laughs> He's well, one, you know. There you go. And but I mean, but the music, the same thing. Their love of music. I, for instance, I, one of their all-time favorite albums was the soundtrack to Doctor Shivago. So I grew up with that. Those mandolins, you know, just blazing into my brain. But I love that stuff. And of course, you know, variety shows. Um, Sonny and Cher, once they hit television, I remember were somewhat acceptable. Um, I remember when the Smothers Brothers hit the television. Yeah. My dad was not happy about that. Oh boy! But uh, no, that's because I can see your dad losing his shit over the <laughs> Smothers Brothers because they were very political absolutely. for the, for their time. Sure, sure. And then by that time, by the time you know the mid to late seventies hit, Donnie and Marie was about as about as rock and roll as the family would would allow it. But I was secretly. <clears throat> discovering music. Oh yeah. So I really didn't 
start to dive into the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, that kind of music until later in life. I was around it in high school, but I was also involved in choir, so I was kind of, I was just one of those kind of, those geeks. Oh, and, no, and, and a th- complete throwback. Well, I mean, in my house, like it's, yeah, in my house, it was Barbara Streisand, Neil Diamond, and Love. Frank Sinatra, and all this stuff. Great music. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But I had a friend down the street. Mm-hmm. His name was Chris Colucci, and he was three years older than me. And I would go down to his house, and we'd go into his bedroom, and we'd close the door. And next thing you know, I'm listening to the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, and my he was really, and, and he introduced me to Pink Floyd. And he introduced me to something to this day I don't think people appreciate is listening to music on headphones. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that in our first show. I know. Yeah. That was the thing. You saved up to get, you know. You, I mean, you put on Dark Side of the Moon and put on a good set of headphones or even if you have good earbuds and just sit there and close your eyes and just listen to the where all the music's coming from. It's not coming straight at your nose. It's coming around the backside of your head and up here from your temple and from your right temple and left temple and there's something over here and there's something over there and everything is moving and it's like... Well, and now all of these these documentaries and these behind the music things that we have the privilege of being able... Now it's like basically being allowed to go into the recording studio because they they pull all those old two inch tapes off Mm -hmm. you know and they mark the board out the way it was and they said now listen to this and they isolate oh yeah you know i know great stuff oh i could just go on and on and on about this stuff well let's cut this one a little short today okay um there's not really too much on my agenda and on you know we're 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 just kind of feeling our way through this. However, um, folks, I do encourage you to join our Facebook page, um, Instagram. We're on Twitter X. And, uh, yeah, follow us along and keep uh, keep watching for what we're planning on doing. Um, the website, again, is mrdanastuff.com. Simply Ed is out doing karaoke all over the all over the place. And the one thing that we think that we can do, because we've had experience doing this before, is taking this kind of format of a radio show slash podcast and uh, making it a little bit more interactive and possibly making it something that you all could participate in and be a part of. So I agree. If but, you're a musician, if you've got a band, and if there's things that you want us to see or things that you want us to talk about, or if you're an old friend that wants to just throw a memory in, um, again, you know, hit us up on the social media stuff. We're pretty easy to find. The website, again, mrdanastuff.com. Sorry, Ed, go ahead. I just got I into do, my, I, I know. my old professional broadcasting just, and promoting days. I understand that. We need to promote, but we also <laughs> need to remind people of some some life lessons. I will leave you with just this today and before we sign off. And I want you to understand it is okay to flatulate. I do it regularly. I don't understand. I know sometimes they smell. But if you hold it in, it's going to mess your head up. Yeah, But don't you think, you know, with... with 
with that degree and level of comfort in one's own body, one should also take responsibility and possibly move the flagellation away from others? Or are you just a, are you a free range guy, dude? Are I, you no longer wearing deodorant and just free ranging it on me? Well, I, I'm, well, listen, we're not going to get into hygiene with me because that's a whole other conversation. No, we've because, already discussed, you know, yeah. Showering, how, is, how to wash, showering is overrated, people. How to wash one's nether regions. Oh, oh, I agree with you that showering, I mean, I think that, you know, showering two or three times a day is, is detrimental. Yeah, absolutely. But I just, I just. Once a week. Remember, I'm over here in Western Pennsylvania and I'm kind of Amish prone. That doesn't mean I can't run a washcloth over something once in a while. This human body that we own has orifices that things come out of, and you just got to let it go, people. I just want the hair to just stop let... growing. I'm, oh. I'm tired of weeding my ears. <laughs> I already asked about electrolysis. They assured me that the pain would be worse than just clipping my ears daily. I understand. I remember one more quick thing before we sign off. When I got divorced and my kids and I were spending a lot of free time together, just the three of us, I decided one day, going through maybe a little bit of a midlife crisis at that moment where I had chopped off all my hair and donated like 16 inches. To, I remember that. Remember that? I remember that. Well, one of the things that I did, and I don't know if I ever told you about this, was I decided that I was going to get my back waxed. <laughs> I just was tired of being hairy because this was when this was starting. You know, I was yeah. in my 50s and this is when the, everything was really starting to go crazy. Right. So I booked a thing at Casals to have my back waxed, and I decided to take my oldest son with me. How old was he at the time? He was probably twelve or thirteen, and I took him in the. And I asked the girl, "Can my son come in?" I, I thought it'd be a kick if he watched his dad get his back waxed, and I've never watched a kid cry with laughter <laughs> as his father was having hair ripped off his back like that scene from the 40-year-old virgin, virgin. Yeah. Uh, Kelly Clarkson and uh you know but it was uh, the things that we do well, I'm glad that it made him laugh and tease you as opposed to trauma. Oh, my God. Him. Oh, no, it was not. It was like he was like peeing his pants. He thought it was the funniest thing he's ever seen in his if life. If my dad had done that to me, I'd have been traumatized. You think? I think so. All right, man. Well, you know. There you go. Can't put a fishing or a, put a worm on a fishing hook. No, you can't. <laughs> and that's that. Thank you, my friend. Love you, buddy. The Penn, Ohio Backyard Bungalow Radio Show brought to you by G&J Fencing.